Network Automation Nerds podcast. Hello and welcome to Network Automation Nerds podcast, a podcast about network automation, network engineering, Python, and other interesting technology topics. I'm your host, Eric Cho. Today on the show, we'll continue to talk to Andy Champagne, SVP and CTO at Akamai Labs. Andy, again, has been in the industry since the early 1990s. The early work focused on network engineering and architecture for regional ISPs. Since joining Akamai in the 2000s, Andy has held a variety of engineering and leadership roles. In part two of this interview with Andy, we talk more about leadership styles and principles, as well as our opinions about the future of connectivity and technology directions. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Yeah, I, I think it is a big jump, but I, I would follow with management, it is just like software, which is just an abstraction layer. And you have to be comfortable with your abstraction layer. And so when you get to director, senior director, vice president, all of a sudden, like the critical thing is, who are the team leads? Yeah. How do you, how do you get to the point where you have the, con- so when you are a team lead, you intimately know everybody in your group and you have yes. kind of that personal connection with them. When you are a director, you need to have that same relationship with your managers. Mm-hmm. And you really want to make sure that like your managers are culturally, like that everybody's getting the same message about the company. Like you don't want to create like two or three versions of the company. You want to make everybody's <laughs> got to be going in the same direction with kind of the same same vision for where it's going to go and, and what you're building from a technology stack. And candidly, you got to meet with people a lot, right? And like, you got to do a lot of one-on-ones. And the other thing is like, I love, uh, I love like town hall Q&A meetings, mm. which is, there is, and it's one of the reasons I like podcasts. It's like, there's nothing easier for me than I'm going to sit down and we're going to talk about whatever you, questions for an hour. And you mm-hmm. ask me the t- ask me the tough ones. Ask me why raises are only X percent instead of Y percent. Like, and I'm I'm going to give you the best answer I can. You're not always going to like it. And yeah. just be authentic and just allow people access. Don't you you can't. I, I'm I'm a little bit of an introvert, right? I'll say that. Which is like it, it is my general tendency is I want to be left to work alone. However. When I find myself with a group of people who love technology and are passionate about where we're going, I really feel differently. And it's like, then it's like, hey, let's talk about it. What are you having for problems with your project? Help me to understand why you're behind in this, you know, this, this, you know, march towards production that you're going down. And how can I help with that? And where do we go? Do we need more resources? So, you know, you've got to be one of those people where I think you're energized about the technology. And I think it's okay if you're kind of more on the introvert side, but you have to be really passionate about tech and you have to be able to translate that to being passionate about talking with people. And, uh, you know, especially today, you know, Akamai prior to COVID was vastly, mostly in person. Mm-hmm. Now we're vastly, mostly remote mm-hmm. and kind of hybrid. And we, we've stayed in that model. And, you know, the communication is still as important, if, if not more because you, you have to get in front of people regularly. So, you know, today I have a luxury where my te- my direct team is small, but like the matrix team that I work out with in the company is, is just, we have 10,000 people in the company. So it's, it's a lot of folks. And, you know, I spend so much of my day is just keeping chatting with folks on, you know, our internal chat stuff, uh, email, email is probably the worst mechanism, right? At this point for, com- I'm just saying for like communication. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of it is that like, Hey, you know, I'm just, chatting with somebody while I'm doing a walk with an AirPod and, and just 
you know, you've got to be really willing to put the effort in around communication. Yeah, that's kind of interesting because, um, like, like all of us, uh, we're, we've just coming out, we're still in, but you know, we're kind of gradually coming out of the pandemic. And one of the struggle, uh, at least I, I'm out of Seattle. And one of the struggle is, you know, Microsoft and Amazon keep on postponing coming back to the office and people are just, you know, having different opinions about it. So how do you, um, what's your, what's your stand on, you know, coming back to the office? And like you said, the communication remote is as much as, as effort you could put in is still not the same as in person, but the, as employees, you know, or as uh, managers too, like they, they treasure these freedom that, uh, and we've proven that it could work to a certain degree. So I'll give you, I'm going to give you like a joke answer first, but, but also a kind of serious one. And then I'll give yeah. then I'll talk a little bit about what we're doing at Akamai. So my joke, sure. my, but yet serious answer is, you know, as a semi introvert person, I wanted to build the internet so that I didn't have to leave the house. Right. <laughs> and it's like, you know, we, we, we're there. Okay. You're we solving your own problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. We're here. And, you know, and, yeah. and obviously the, the COVID COVID is still going on, you know, yeah. and uh, it is still serious. So now at Akamai, you know, we've embraced this, which is we're just fully hybrid. Mm-hmm. So there, you know, we've got, we went through a very long process and, and like the vast majority of Akamai's roles are flex, which means you can go into the office if you want, you can mm-hmm. work from home if you want. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, you're, it's, it's all, it's all good and you're all the same. And I like that clarity. I personally hate and am very uncomfortable with not knowing. So if, if I had to deal with kind of a looming back to the office date that keeps getting kicked down the road, that yeah. would stink. I, I would kind of just be like, can you just tell us, are we going to go remote? Or are we going to be in the office? I think both modalities are fine. Um, mm-hmm. I, I will say I very much, I still live, I haven't moved during the pandemic or anything. So I still have like access to the Akamai office. And I do really enjoy, it's really special when you go in right? Because you're seeing people in person and interacting with them. But additionally, like our, you know, just from for technology roles, there is so much that you can do uh, from home, and there's so much accessibility. Uh, So, you know, I think that remote is incredibly viable. And Akamai's really kind of, you know, doubled down on that. We've got just great support all the way from, you know, Tom, our CEO and into our HR department. So and it's generally been a really welcome change, because folks, want to have some more flexibility in their lives and, you know, uh, commutes and stuff. It's just, you know, that's, that seems crazy to set yourself into that. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny that you mentioned now it's an event, right? Like when you go into the office, it's almost like, Hey, you know, Tom, Andy, I haven't seen you so long. It's like, it's so special that you now have that and the people treasure it. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I see the change as well. You start grouping all the meetings and all the team building events into two or three days, and those become your uh, your hub. The office essentially become a hub or a switch, I guess, um, of uh, of your interactions and kind of the days that you plan around them, and then the rest of the time you just have it for yourself. I, I like that hybrid model. Is just I hope. Uh, more company could adapt to it, but at the same time, I realize not all job functions, like you said, we're lucky in the technology realm that so much could be done remotely. A hundred percent, and uh, it, it is it is a very uh, it, it is something that is very narrow to technology, right? Generally, yeah, is that it's it's got that, and especially because I think in technology, everybody knows the tools around how to do this, and you know the, the reality is you've probably been working, you know, you would go to your desk 
at your office and work remote from there, right? You know, you're SSHing into something, you're, you're, <laughs> you're on video conferencing. So it's just a question. But again, you know, the, the team stuff is still super important. So as a team lead or kind of, you know, early manager, yeah. you, know, you still got to think about how do you do team events that are going to be fun? And, and just to be honest, also are like, you know, COVID safe. So doing like outdoor events or doing hikes or team hikes or team, like wh- whatever it is, you know, picnics, stuff that is going to make everybody feel comfortable, I think is still like really important. Yeah, I'll be the first to to say that I still wear masks inside. And, you know, if not for me, it's for other team members as well, because I have two kids at home. And if you have kids, you know, like you do, Andy, like, you know, like they just kind of bring all the germs around. <laughs> like, you know, you're essentially living with all of their classmates, you know, where they've been to because they, they just don't, they, they, they take less care about, you know, uh, wearing masks and hygiene and so on. So I do wear, when I go into the office or, you know, interact with other people, I still wear a mask. So, um, but I am clearly in the minority now. So um, making everybody comfortable is really key. And um, I appreciate that thought. Yeah, no. And, and, and I, you know, I find myself using it. If I'm, if I'm in a, and I've kind of come up with my own rules just to be transparent. Like it's something that sure. I think about too. And it's something where I've kind of come up with my own rules of the road. Like if I'm in a all day meeting with eight people, I'm comfortable saying, all right, I'm not going to wear a mask. Right. But if I'm mm-hmm. in, you know, some like more presentation type thing in a larger room with like a hundred people, you know, I run the mathematical odds on that in my head. I go, yeah, I'm going to wear a mask. (laughs) Right. And, you know, I I think that it's, it's, uh, I think that's fine. And and I, you know, I I support, you know, kind of whatever people want to do, but I also think, you know, a big part of my job is to make, make sure that everybody feels comfortable. Right. And, and that, you know, I'm doing whatever I can to accommodate that. And, uh, you know, again, and I'm, I'm big on, uh, you know, Hey, if we're going to do an event, let's try to do something outside. Let's try to do something that's fun where everybody can just kind of relax. And it's, uh, again, you know, it's about, it's about figuring out how do you make people comfortable to really get the best out of them and get them to bring their best selves to work. Yeah. I think that's a great example of, um, something relevant and something that illustrates your leadership style, right? Like when you talk about being authentic, when you talk about enabling other people to kind of be the best version of themselves, that is that all that I think that's such a great example of illustrating as in an example format of your style and what you believe in. So thank you for sharing that. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. So I noticed that you follow uh, Jeffrey Moore, the author of the classic Crossing the Chasm on your LinkedIn. You, you don't follow much people, but, you know, I kind of stalked you on LinkedIn a little bit, um, but you specifically follow him. So can you well, first of all, can you tell people what the book is about? Or if you're a fan of the book, and I, I just love to hear your thoughts on that. I read the yeah. book just recently. So cool. So uh, I probably shouldn't have accepted your LinkedIn request because you've been stalking. <laughs> me. No, so I think I follow oh, like a thousand. Oh, so I, I think I'm connected with a thousand people on LinkedIn, but I yeah. don't follow that many topics. And right, so right, first right. of all, uh, Jeffrey Moore was a board member at Akamai for maybe 12 years. So oh, okay. I, yeah, so this is like an awesome topic. So I got to know Jeffrey from his time as a board member. And yeah. uh, obviously, uh, you know, it just a just an awesome perspective on kind of futurist and where technology is going. And I can I can talk about some examples there. Uh, Crossing the Chasm really is, I, I think, his what I would say is his seminal work. And, uh, you know, we had the luxury of having Jeffrey uh, present at a bunch of our like management offsites and events because he was, you know, on our board at the time and, and was, it, it just had a ton of like super applicable knowledge to the company. Crossing right. the chasm is about, you know, really when a company is getting going, getting yeah. 
velocity and getting critical mass to make it through uh, kind of these sets of great filters that are out there, right? These things that just prevent companies from making it to the next level. Uh, and, you know, I think as you look at startups, like, you know, there's these statistics that, you know, so many very high percentage of startups fail and, and they do. Right. Yeah. And and yeah. Uh, it, it's it's and really those are only rough. the and, ones you heard of. <laughs> exactly. There's all these ones that quietly die out and, you know, they never yeah. make it past four people or 10 people. And, uh, you know, Jeffrey's book, which I would encourage everybody to read. And I, I love this kind of it, it is incredibly important to keep an eye on this kind of step back abstraction. Right. Which is like, let's take a step or two back and let's look at what is causing some companies to make it and some companies to not make it. And, and company makes it sound business. It's really about technology, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, is like, what, what are the technology components that catch on and succeed? And what are the ones that don't? And, uh, you know, so I think it's an awesome read. I think it's great. You just read it. Um, you know, I probably last read it about six, seven years ago, but you know, he does a really good job of running through some calculus on what causes companies to not cross that chasm and make it to the other side. They basically just fall through and and at some point cease to exist or end up, you know, being sold off. Yeah, I mean, the lucky ones made it to the first um, uh, the first phase, right? Like the early adapters, they love them. and But making that between the early adapters to the, uh, I think he called them early majority. So making, yeah. having that, it's, it's really just this gap that you have to overcome. And many, many companies, if you're lucky enough to make it to that first phase, the, the beachheads that what he talked about, but you still fail because of all these challenges. And, you know, the, the gaps are not equal going from early stage to, early, you know, early adapters is little, but the, the, the gap is just, just crazily big. And, uh, I agree with you. I think it's, it's good that, uh, I mean, and for me, I read the, uh, revision edition so he actually included a lot of the like oh. you said this is a classic so he included examples from you know cisco um i think he replaced like sun micro or something that's just a bit outdated but um but he included later examples and i really enjoy that re um like you said it's just an instead of abstraction right it's from a high level and looking at from like a brass stroke and it helps when you could pull yourself out of that details so, um, and I didn't know he was a board member. So you must have met him a few times and have a beer or two. Yeah. And, and I'll be honest. Yes. And, and I have a pot, like my standard LinkedIn policy is I don't, yeah. I don't connect. I don't have a connection request with you unless I've met you in like mm -hmm. in person or virtually. Right. So that's right. So yeah. And, and, uh, you know, Jeff, it, which is, I guess I'm kind of old school with that, but whatever it's, it's whatever it's worked thus far, but yeah. And, you know, Jeffrey, I think, uh, one of the examples, and, and this is, way back. We're probably in late 2000s, 2008, 2009. And, you know, we're mm -hmm. talking about like how Akamai services evolve. And one yeah. of the interesting things to us was what do devices look like, right? Mm. Because like the makeup of devices, and, and this is, you know, a couple years after the iPhone came out, right? So like we're yeah. rolling around with iPhones with like 16 gigs of storage, right? Like, <laughs> and I, I, I got the good one and it's got 16 yeah, gigs. Yeah. Well, you laugh now, but I remember this. And Jeff, Jeffrey, with this whole deck that he went through, he's like, hey, guys, you know, like just when you're when you're thinking about how your services are going to work, you know, these end devices, you're going to have like a terabyte in your pocket. And everybody's like, a terabyte? No way. <laughs> you're crazy. It's going to burn a hole in my pants. Yeah, it's like, it, what do I have, a car behind? Right? 
Yeah, it's yeah. like, how are you going to get a terabyte into that? And this is where he's dead on because now, yeah. you know, it's like I got the 512 gig iPhone and it's not, it's the normal one up. Like it's, it's so, right. it is the, the progression of technology and the ability to take a little bit of a step back and say, well, this is what it is today. And you've got your iPhone with 16 gigs. But if we go from 2008 to 2018, you know, you're probably at 256 and you go, you know, and it's just, and that has huge ramifications for somebody like Akamai because we're thinking about, okay, what kind of storage could we use on the user's device to maybe load things in advance for software updates, et cetera. So yeah, super interesting. Yeah. And he was a tremendous uh, influence on, uh, on the company and just awesome service on our board. Yeah, it's interesting how like things, uh, yes, revolve fast, but also at the same time, you kind of taking examples from other uh, like PC, for example, you know, how they still keep up with the Morse law, but it's more distributed, but it's, uh, you know, ways that you you accommodate that growth. And, uh, you know, I look forward to the day where my watch could, you know, cache movies and and have a camera. And, and I'm, I mean, I look at my phone, my watch, I'm like, one day they're going to be the same. And I, I look forward to the day where I don't have to carry my phone around, really. It'll be, it's, it's interesting. And uh, it'll be very interesting. The amount of computing power uh, on watches today is, is uncanny, right? I, I have a Garmin. Yeah. Uh, you know, like more of like a like a, a the marine aquatics or whatever it is, like watch and like yeah. the process. It's amazing. Like it's got a full map GPS thing on. Like I've it, you know I've got GPS maps and zooming in, and it's amazing. I think it's got two hundred fifty like sixty four gig or two hundred fifty six gig of storage. So yeah. the processing capability is amazing. And as you said, it's changed. It's no longer about single core performance. But right. it's about, you know, architectures like, you know, ARM has made so much progress, right? And RISC versus CISC and kind of the different instruction sets. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to say, well, oh my gosh, where is it going to be in 10 years? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I love to hear what your, your thoughts are. What do you think the next big thing in networking is? What do you think of the connectivity, connectivity might look like in the future? Love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, uh, first of all, I think the interesting thing that's happened, and I'm speaking mostly to the the U.S. market here. I mean, because yeah. because the world is evolving at different different rates and points, but like high speed gigabit access is is kind of like a done thing. Like if you have cable today, typically yeah. you can get high speed digital access now. Uh, that's all. So basically what I'm trying to say is like wireline, like fixed line connectivity, like seems to be kind of soft. And I think mm -hmm. we've got to figure out why do people need more than a gig? Cause it's not even really clear. Most people need a gig. So I think we got to figure that out. Like the, what's the compelling application. But I think the part that I'm most excited about is uh, RF, you know, radio wireless connectivity. And oh, okay. I think, yeah. And, and just, if you look at what's being done, uh, with like Starlink, yes, absolutely amazing. It is mm -hmm. absolutely amazing. And the potential for that, you know, today you've got this Starlink dish, which is compact and cool and is, you know, nicely packaged and, and works great. But like, yeah. what's that going to look like in 10 years? Is it just yeah. going to be in my phone? And and obviously, I understand all the RF attenuation problems with 10 gigahertz and line of sight and phased array antennas. I get all that. But uh, the technology is going to keep moving forward. So you're, you're kind of moving to a model where you're not, you could truly be untethered, right? Mm -hmm. We've got Apple in the uh, the uh, the iPhone 14 with this uh, SOS feature that's using satellites. Yes. yes. Very interesting. So this this notion of, you know, RF, you know, radio connectivity 
kind of is is just very interesting. And you know, I I'm a I'm an Ethernet guy. Like my laptop is plugged into Ethernet. I, I have an access point that I can see. I still plug in because of the latency benefits and the the best you know better quality of service overall. But RF has made scary improvements, and where that's going to go in ten years. Uh, I'll be interested. I'll probably like bookmark this video and watch it in 10 years <laughs> and see if I was, see if I was, I wonder how many views it'll have. Uh, but <laughs> I, I think the capability for, you know, ground and space-based connectivity could, yeah. I mean, really change the scope of access as it is. And, and, and Starlink's done a ton there and, and others are coming soon and working on it. And, you know, that's, it, it's also very interesting to Akamai, right? Because as we think about yes. what is the edge of the network, uh, boy, that's changing all the time, right? I mean, are we going to totally. be launching satellites too? Are we going to have CDN satellites up there? A CDN satellites. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, the, it's very exciting. I mean, you brought up so many good points. And, uh, you know, what's, first of all, it's back to analog, right? <laughs> and, and all of that. And I remember, like, you need to have a direct line of sight for wireless or you need to have, like, a different return path for uh, for beaming up. But... um. But yeah, I think it's very exciting. I think the only, I guess, grudge that I would have with Starlink um, is they're still figuring out, right? Like special Ethernet adapter from your satellite and then that costs $40, right? <laughs> you know, or um, uh, roaming capabilities, even though, you know, they have service, but you can't transfer ownership. So you can't put out an RV and go and stuff like that. But But I think, you know, if you move back a little bit and just say, this is a broader trend and this is how connectivity would evolve into then um, like, like what the great one says, right? You want to go where the puck is going versus where it has been. So, um, so that's a great way to kind of look at it. I'll make one more comment on that, which is so, uh, of course. I'm Starlink. I'm a Starlink customer. I have the stupid Ethernet dongle. I had to wait three months for it to show up, right? It was yes, backordered. Yes. But that's, this, is the, this is version one. Yes, and the, yes. the, the analogous example that I'll go back to, like my first job was in digital prepress, right? So like digitally preparing files for printing, like literally printing on paper. And okay. you know, you're, you, we used to use software that required a dongle, meaning it was like a USB or serial thing you had to plug in. And the software did an encrypted check to make sure you had the dongle before it would run. Mm, now, I have Photoshop, now I have Photoshop and Lightroom on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> so you know let's give it five or ten years and i'm sure they're yeah. gonna work through the ethernet adapter issues and the form factor and again you know you might not need a cpe i mean you know yes there's challenges there but that whole landscape will change i agree user so user friendliness is only going to go up over time with these technologies right. and i think you know with starlink everybody who's using it now you know it's just the early days i mean you're in the, the you know the wild west of this just getting figured out but the technology is amazing and you know and there's also of course 5g and the relevance yes. that that could have now the technology implications for that are different it's somewhat about urban settings it's about denser coverage but uh you know again i mean the it, that actually is very analogous because if you think about well satellite-based systems don't work well typically in urban areas because of you know skyscrapers attenuating signals etc but maybe 5g has a role there so wireless connectivity is going to be interesting it's going to be hard for folks like me to uh give up their ethernet cables but it might happen <laughs> at some point in the future yeah, I mean, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to that. Really, I mean, you know, uh, 14 as you as you were saying, you know, doesn't take a physical SIM card anymore, right? So that's just kind of these baby steps and graduating, uh, you know, graduating one from one step to another. And I would imagine that your 
uh, your bounds will be a little different, you know, uh, in the future. Maybe it's like, uh, I don't know, like a physical location or maybe it's uh, urban area extension. So it's kind of diverging through. One thing that you mentioned uh, kind of trigger my thoughts um, and it's kind of a, a abstract, not very well formed. So I'm you know, curious if you're, you're thinking on that. So it seems like we're gearing more and more, especially in these edge cases, gearing toward more and more dual standard between or dual or even multiple standards of um, regulations. Like, for example, you know, China is going through their own thing. You know, U.S. is moving ahead and EU might have different standards and so on. What are some of the implications of that, in your opinion, on uh, networking, connectivity, and so on? Yeah, you know, so my personal opinion, right, which is yeah. really the only one that I think you can state on topics like this, is like the internet sure. does not want to be fractured, right? The internet no. does not want to have different walled gardens, depending upon what country you're in. You know, I'm kind of a subscriber to the information wants to be free. And, yes. you know, I, I think that having... I think it's generally it's generally challenging because it I think it makes the technology implementations specific to a geography. Now, now I can understand that as far as privacy regulations, et cetera, that all I can understand. Yeah. Yeah. But when it comes to kind of the filtering approach, I think that it can be challenging. And obviously, you know, Akamai, you know, we respect local laws everywhere we operate, et cetera. Uh, but my personal view is that, you know, it's 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 a challenging ecosystem today because the political discussion and environment ha has really kind of led its way into technology policy. And as a technology guy that I kind of wish it wasn't that way all the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Um, so I'm from Taiwan. Uh, my sister does a majority of her business in China and I've been in situations where we're integrating, you know, uh, different segments within the companies. Um, and, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I'm in the same camp as you to believe that technology, uh, information wants to be free and we need to build on each other's uh, shoulders and technologies uh, should be enablers for us. Um, and uh, the best way to do that really is through open source, is through uh, you know sharing and openly be authentic, like you said. Um, you know, just be yourself and, you know, because everybody else is taken, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> It's very yeah, and, and open source, I mean, has been such an amazing force, right? And I mean, yeah. you know, just again, back in the time machine, you know, if you go back to the late 90s, early midnight, mid 90s, late 90s, like open source was there, but like it was mostly like a Windows game, like Windows NT, yeah. DOS, Novell, yeah. you know, and, and just how the ecosystem of open source, I mean, it, you know, to the notion that Microsoft has a cloud platform that runs Linux. Yes, it's still amazing yes. to me, right? And Sonic. And, and, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it is. So, you know, open source has been just such a formative experience for the internet. And it's just been absolutely amazing for, you know, for me as well. I mean, you know, so much of my time is whether it's, you know, playing with Arduinos or Raspberry Pis and obviously the ecosystem. It's not just open source software. Now we're talking about open source hardware as well, which is yeah. kind of a cool area as well. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Yeah, I remember. I mean, you, you brought back so much memories now. It's like I remember, you know, we were working with predominantly in the local ISP, we were working with Windows or Solaris. And there's this new thing called Linux that comes out and runs on x86. And I'm like, I'm compiling the kernel. I'm like, this is just so much work. I, I'd rather just give somebody a bucket of money to, 
you know, to do what I wanted to do. But look where it is now. And um, I'm a true believer in that. I mean, I think the first thing I think uh, in my uh, in my book is just the open source community. It's just so great, right? Like without Python, without, um, you know, a lot of the, uh, you know, Linux, uh, you know, OS, I, I just don't know where I would be professionally or personally with these projects. And like you said, open source hardware, 3D printing, all of these are just maturing and uh I, I would love to see where they're going to go next. Yeah, I, I fully agree. And I think uh, I'll, I'll also like I'm, you're making me feel a little old, but that's OK. <laughs> but I mean, I was a, I was a free BSD guy to start. Oh, with, OK. Right? So, nice. Yeah. Nice. So, you know, I, I that think little daemon, little devil with the uh, with the fork. Yeah. Yep. The daemon. Right. So yeah, yeah, the daemon. Know, I, I, I think that learning and I'm going to say it this generically learning Unix mm. was the most important thing that I did. Right. And, and wow, that because, yeah. I mean, it just opened up and whether it's, you know, system five or whether it's Linux or whatever you're talking about, you know, I started on FreeBSD today. I'm a, I'm a Linux guy. Um, but it was just, you know, it, all that experience is so translatable, right. Yeah. Which is, you know, you're, you're it, it's just been amazing what's happened. And to that point, you know, open source, my electronics nerd background, like we talked about with vacuum tubes and desoldering stuff, you know, I love the open, the open source hardware is awesome because you have a, a level of understanding and control uh, that just, you know, wasn't there before I'm playing around with, you know, I'm in a, a you know, a GPS NTP server that I want to run downstairs. So I have a, you know, on, on net stratum one server. And the fact that I can do that <laughs> with open hardware today is just fantastic. Yeah. And of course it's plugged into wired ethernet as well. So yeah. yes, yes, of course. <laughs> Why else? But, um, so what, what technology excites you the most? Um, I think we, we cover so much, right? Like you talk about open hardware, you talk about these, uh, you know, uh, 5Gs or satellite connections. Out of all of these, um, can you pinpoint one or two that you really want to focus on? Like, say, if we want to go where the buck is going, what, what, where, where would I spend the next, I don't know, two months reading if I were wanted to like start my own startup? Where do I, where should I focus on? Yeah. So, and again, I'm giving you my personal answer, of course, which of is, course. you know, the blockchain technology is, is amazing. Mm, and okay. we have seen a major flame out of yeah. the Web3 space, right? Like, right. you know, and I, and I know there's a ton of good work going on there, but like the whole NFT thing, like, you know, I mean, it's just been a huge flame out of Web3. Yeah. I, I however, would say that the, the initial promise of, or like the technology promise of blockchain is, yeah. is still there. And mm-hmm. I would, I'm, I'm super excited about what the kind of combinatorial solve of blockchain plus other things yeah. could bring us, you know, whether it's a solution to social networking, right? Yeah. And, you know, a, a better social network or what comes next there. And it probably doesn't even look like a social network, but what it is. So that one from like an application software perspective, that's probably where I would go. On the networking side, yeah, and I I said earlier, but I think it's about RF, which is like you know understanding like what can connectivity look like, and mesh connectivity is very interesting, and Mm -hmm. uh, you know there's there's some really interesting new products and work around kind of not always on mesh connectivity, still used for like durable message delivery. So those are areas that I love. So I, I know I'm giving you kind of a super vague answer, but I think blockchain from a tech from a software stack perspective is extremely exciting uh, for me. And I think on a network side, it's about, you know, taking what was once the realm of wired from a quality of service and performance perspective and moving it into wireless that is not location dependent. You don't have to be within 100 feet of your access point to be on, you know, five gigahertz, et cetera, and just just really changing the landscape. So I know those are really wide angle answers. Um, 
other things that I think are super interesting, uh, you know, AI is making just scary progress forward. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's an area I'm not an expert in. Uh, I, I I am working to learn more about it, but yeah. the 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 capabilities there are just uh, amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, I I resonate with uh, all three of what you talked about. I think the um, the blockchain and the Web three really, it's kind of like a they're going through a winter right now. But, you know, they're going to come out and whatever is left, it's going to be better than what was before. I mean, the Ethereum just went through the merge and, uh, you know, not just the merge, just not any merge, it's the merge. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's that in itself is probably, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it saves like, you know, switching from, you know, like uh, mining to like stakeholders. But the the thing that's really good is that it's going to enable like sharding in the future where the process time is going to be a lot faster. So imagine, you know, your credit card transaction time, right? Versus like today where you need to transfer your coins, that's going to, you know, the the sooner that we could bring that time down into your credit card transaction, the sooner the the more people will start adapting and use those. And um, yeah, so I think that was a huge step to enable like, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, sharding and, and all of that. Um, Wi-Fi, uh, RF, as you mentioned, uh, and also AI, right? Like I've seen these, these AI-driven article, uh, AI-written articles, AI, you know, drawing paintings, and like um, even some of the demos. Like I, I wasn't pre- purview to be one of the beta users, but I've seen videos where people just say, "Hey, give me a little five-year-old girl walking on clouds." Um, having you know, w- you know, having a golden door or whatever, and then the AI just generate that picture, and it's beautiful. It's like as if somebody had I painted it over 10, 10 days. It's just just crazy how how advanced those has come to, and how far we have come to. Yeah, and I've seen the same thing. And there's a there's a site now which is open. I think it's it's called crayon.ai or something like that. And okay, uh, I, I've done the same thing where it's like you can just put in like a barn on a hill in the fall. Yeah and, yeah, and you'll get out like you know the AI crunches for like thirty seconds, and you get Real out time. Five, yeah five or six different pictures come back, which is right. what it thinks that should look like. Right, and, you know they're all slightly disturbing. Like they have this, <laughs> they have this like ethereal quality to them, but yeah. it's also like, damn, did that just do that? Like it's yeah. it's very applied, and so so I think it's it's going to be interesting where that it's interesting and scary where yeah. that could go. But it's certainly a very interesting area of work, research, and and now applied uh, actual sites you can go to. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, those pictures, like you said, like it, it's kind of uh, it's kind of scary and kind of unnerving and kind of this airy feel. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, it doesn't need to be a, a masterpiece, but you know, they, they just look look awesome uh, with the 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 amount of time it took versus the quality. I think that's a good trade off. Yep. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. No, it's 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 amazing in a scary way, right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, Andy, I mean, um, I I feel like we could take another hour chat about you know the connectivity and an hour, but you know we're coming up on on an hour. I, I just I want to thank you again for being here. Like I said, I think a person of your caliber really enhances you know our learning. You know, just just learning through your path and what stands out for you. I think that's really important. Um, so I want to thank you again for being here. Yeah, well, hey, I, I super appreciate it. And I think if I could leave with anything, and I'm not like, you know, an inspirational speaker, but it's one, you've got to be authentic, right? Yeah. So just be yourself. 
and and look for how you can use yourself to to kind of motivate people and to you know bring out the best in people and the other one you know where he started is you got to find some time for play and it, you know hopefully your your day-to-day job enables you to have that uh, i i think that's the long-term secret i mean when i look at my personal things that i want to do like there's so much of it it's just technology driven my my personal to-do list of like fun time stuff yeah and uh you know i i I encourage people to have that because it makes your your day-to-day so much more interesting if you're able to bring in an intersection of what you do professionally what you want to do personally uh and then it's not really about like work-life balance anymore right it's about like hey how do i just do more of what i want to do yeah that's awesome i mean that's that's why i typically ask people um well i jumped the gun a little bit but like you know any call to action so you would say be authentic uh, yep. Find time to play uh, because that's 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 what would make make your uh, a day that goes by that you don't feel like you're working because you're just playing. Yep, and like for example, like the last hour. I mean, this is fun for me, right? So you know, find out the things that are that are fun, and you know, try to incorporate. You know, find try to find a role and a position where you're able to capitalize on. And obviously, there's going to be real work. I mean, I got I got an afternoon of spreadsheets and Google Slides in front of me, but uh, I think it's also <laughs> important to incorporate some of. I mean, we 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 have a lot of that, right? But also <laughs> figure out how to incorporate some of that fun in because I think that's what motivates you to get up. Right. And that's yeah. what motivates you to keep doing it and put in the time and put in the effort because you're you're moving the state of the art as it relates to what you care about forward. Yeah. Yo, thank you. Thank you again for being here. Um, your video looks great. It, I need to see if the StreamYard uses like some of that Akamai CDN. <laughs> that's why it looks so great. <laughs> but um, well, thank yeah. You. yeah. Thanks again for being here. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Network Automation Nerds Podcast. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other major podcast platforms. Until next time, bye-bye.